Has anybody guessed yet what prophet we're preaching on this week? I don't want to give you any hints. I don't want to, to color your choice in any way, but there's one person who, who was kind of on my mind. Um, before we get to him, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12. If you've hung around me for five minutes, you've heard me quote this verse, right? When you get there, say, my, you're handsome, pastor. I'm not going to use this pulpit for personal gratification, but that was nice. Thank you, Mona. My wife didn't say, oh, she's in the nursery. Okay, okay, she's forgiven then, all right. Maybe she's down there listening and she's saying it to the kids, and the kids are like, who's that? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8 says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see through a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. The King James said, a glass darkly. I, I was always raised with that. It was one of the first phrases that once I heard that, I never lost that phrase, that we see now through a glass darkly. If you've ever gotten up early in the morning and the lights are on inside, but it's dark outside and you're trying to see what's outside, you just kind of see a reflection of what's inside until you get really close to the glass and you really kind of have to peer through. And even then, because it's dark out there, you can't really make anything out. It's all dark. And it says that now in the place we're in, in the walk we have on this, on this earth, in, in our mortal bodies, until we get to glory, until we cross over into that place where we will see him face to face, where we will stand face to face with God, that now everything's kind of, it's kind of distorted. It's kind of cloudy. We are called to walk supernaturally in a world that will fight off any and all attempts to be redeemed. If you stand against the norms of society, if you cry out against wickedness, you can do anything in our society. You can be as politically incorrect as you want. Just don't call anything sin, right? Because as soon as you call it sin, that's a different line, right? There's, there's the, hey, you're politically incorrect, and then they're, oh, now you're just being mean. You can't call anything, and nothing's a sin, right? A prophetic people are called to see through... Here, here, <laughs> I skipped a line there. There's only one part of my entire message that I write out verbatim, and that's the intro, and I managed to not read it correctly off what I wrote. Everyone wants to decry the results of sin, but no one stands against the root of sin. We attack, causes instead of, we attack issues instead of causes. We attack what the news shows us instead of looking at what is actually at the root of what's going on in our society. We attack all the symptoms that come up, but we don't ever actually go after what is wrong in our culture. A prophetic people are called to see through to the root and to cleanse it. We are called to peer through the glass and tell others what we see. That if we are people of God, called of God to be his ambassadors to the world, the ones that hear from him, the ones that speak to him, that pray, that receive from him, that there is a sense in which other people in our life will be waiting to say, what do you see? We're standing up a glass and we're looking out there and I was like, well, you know what? He's clothed in rainbows of living color and there's flashes of lightning and rolls of thunder. I can just kind of make it out. I, I can't see it all the way, but I can kind of tell that on the other side of this, there's something really amazing. 
And so we're the ones with our, with our nose pressed up against the glass, right? We're the ones that just, we're trying to see what's over there. So I want to catch us back up. Before we get into Nathan, go ahead and head over to 1 Samuel chapter 7. Before we get there, I want to catch us back up. We're starting, we're in a series called All the Prophets Are Dead. Because all the prophets we are talking about are in fact deceased. They are ex-prophets. They are no longer, right? And it's a shame because, as I have said, it'd be really good if we had some prophets in our nation this day because if ever we needed to hear the voice of God as a people, we live in a day and age where that is just completely necessary. We started with where the Bible says that I, would, I want you all to prophesy. I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. We need to get to the place where power trumps preference, right? What I mean by power trumps preference has nothing to do with carpet, windows, or pews. It has to do with in your personal life when you lose the same battles over and over because you have decided in your heart to fight the battles the same old fleshly way you've always fought the battles instead of finding a way for the prophetic power of God to move in you and to actually change the situation in which you find yourself. Is that enough information in one sentence? Let me go back over that. A lot of us are fighting the same battle, the same way we've always fought the battle, got the same results. We end up in the same argument, saying the same things to the same people. We're just doing it by a matter of degree. This time I'll crank it up a little more, or I'll be a little meaner, or I'll be a little louder, or I'll be a little something, and we still lose the battle because there's nothing to be gained by fighting according to the flesh. There's nothing to be gained by just using your anger and using your passion or using your depression or using your anxiety and throwing that at somebody. You're going to get the same result from them you've always gotten. There you go. I'm releasing you from doing that. You don't have to do it anymore. At some point, you've got to look for the prophetic power of God to let you see past what's going on in a situation so that you can actually address the root of what is there. I went through a whole lot of fights early on in my marriage because I thought I had to win something. There's no prize, right? I went through a lot of fights with my family growing up because I thought I had to stand this ground and win this battle only to find out there was nothing on the other side that I actually won. There was a point at which I came back into my family, and I remember this. I came back not as me, but I came back as what God had made me, right? And all of a sudden it wasn't, I'm looking for you guys to emotionally fulfill me, and I'm looking for you guys to affirm me, and I'm looking for this. No, I came back as a minister, and then when things happened, I wouldn't just look and say, well, that person says something really snotty to me. I should really just give it to them. But I would look at it and say, that person says something really snotty to me. I bet they're hurting. I bet something's going on with them. And I stopped fighting the battle the same way, and that was a big turning point. Secondly, every person needs some thus saith the Lord in your life. The world does not need more opinions. Amen? Do we have enough opinions? Anybody got TV? Anyone got television? Do we have enough opinions on television? right? Do you have enough opinions on stuff? Do you know there's a difference between a prophetic word from God, something empowered by the Holy Spirit coming out of your mouth that is completely different than, you know what I think? Did you know there's two different things there, right? Like I can get up here and preach and I can be like, hey guys, I got this great opinion I want to give you. Or I can come up here and I could say, you know what? The Lord has put this message on my heart and I want to give it to you. And it's a completely different thing. And then third, you got to guard against the crazy with submission. And what I mean by that is sometimes we say we're just honest with people when we're really just mean. You don't have the right to correct anyone you don't receive correction from. Did you know that? 
But if you can't receive correction from someone, now I'm not talking about parents and kids because obviously kids grow and develop, but at some point your kids are going to come back and correct you. Did you know that? They get old enough to know stuff. Then drive you nuts. You don't know nothing. You're a kid, right? And someday they look, they look at you and they say something. And you're like, that's something an adult would say. Weren't you just feeding off a bottle like two weeks ago, right? And they just say some adult stuff to you and you're just like, well, that's crazy. But did you know that a lot of times people say, I'm just really honest and really honest spoken. Really what they were saying is I don't have a filter and I don't filter out all the mean things I want to say and I, I don't really care who it hurts. I just say what I want to say. Those same people a lot of times can't receive correction from other people. They can't say, well, you know what? Sometimes people need to be plain spoken to me. And I'm going to get a little bit into that today. I feel like I'm talking fast. I'm probably talking fast. I got a lot. I've got four pages of things I can just completely took out and threw away. If Pat wasn't here for me to preach at her yesterday and I preached at Stu a little bit, I had to preach all the extra stuff to them that I don't get to say today. So then we went to Elijah who was a restorer and the thing I want you to remember there is that a prophetic person is a specific cure to a specific poison. That they are here for such a time as this. That God has put into you the things that you will need to fight the battles that he has meant for you to fight. That he has created you and equipped you and developed you so that when you came to the place that you're going to come to, you are going to be fully equipped to handle that thing. You are a specific cure to a specific poison. In the group you're in, in the, in the social circle you surround yourself, all the places you go, God has put you in those places because he has given you specific things that the people you cross will need. You're a specific cure to a specific poison. And a prophet precedes redemption or destruction. We're all heralds of change. Did you know that if you were walking as a child of God under the anointing of God, everywhere you walk, things change? They do. What? Change. Right? We hate change, don't we? We don't hate change. You know how I know you don't hate change? Because the second you went through two days in a row that were just exactly alike, you get antsy. Every one of us, right? We like to have routine. We like to have our touchstones. We like to have our, okay, brush my teeth, comb my hair, took my shower, do this. Right? You have your touchstones, but we want that change in there. We want to know that we're going... The Christian walk is a walk from glory to glory. It's not a walk around in circles till Jesus gets back, right? We're not just meandering about hoping he'll get here. We've got work to do, and in order to do that work, we grow, we progress, we become bigger. If you're in the same place that you've always been, well, we need to look at that, don't we? And then last week, we had Jonah. Jonah, you're usually up there. Taylor's not here, and he's sitting further back today. See how that happens? He got to have his wife to keep him in line. Last week, Jake spoke on Jonah, God's most reluctant world changer. We all care about the lost until God calls us to preach to them, right? And another one, Jonah proves. I, 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 Jake and I texted back and forth, and then I kind of put it back in my own words, and, and it says, "Don't look for excuses not to share your faith." I love that. I love the idea of you know, hey man, you should go talk to that person about the Lord. They look like they're struggling, and the devil being all like, "Yes, that's my plan. Go talk to that person about the Lord," because we do that. No, that wasn't the Lord telling me that. That was just that was just pizza or whatever. God doesn't really want me to talk to anybody. Can I tell you something about? How many of you have ever had a painfully awkward social exchange? Right? I, I would think everybody. We don't all admit, but we've had those things where you went to talk to somebody. Man, I remember there was this guy, and I just wanted to, I just wanted to impress him. I just wanted that guy to like me. You know, like he was kind of up here, and I'm kind of here. I'm like, I really want this guy to like me. And every time I try to talk to him, I was so worried about getting him to like me, I sounded like an idiot. Right? And you just walk away like, oh, I'm so stupid. Right? 
Until one day I just finally said, you know, I'm just going to talk to him like a person because that's actually what he is and what I am. And we actually developed a relationship after that. But the problem was is I couldn't have that talk because I was having this painfully awkward thing going on. But let me tell you something about sharing your faith. It is going to be painfully awkward sometimes. Did you know that? I know. I'm not promising you any prosperity up here. I'm like, hey, it's going to hurt. It's going to, you know, Paul, you're going to talk to me, you're going to stutter, you're going to say something wrong, you're going to trip over your words, you're going to walk away from the conversation saying, oh, I should have said this and I should have said that. Man, I had a lot of good I should have said, right? Man, dear, when you were a kid and somebody gave you that insult and you walked away thinking, oh, I could have said that, right? Never did. Doesn't matter, do it anyway. Because you're not responsible for the growth of the seed, you're not responsible for the bearing of the fruit, all you are is responsible for taking the seed and put it where it's supposed to be. Hey, this is what I got. I ain't got a lot and I'm socially awkward, painfully so sometimes. I say stupid stuff, I do dumb stuff. If you ain't seen me doing something dumb, you haven't hung around me enough, right? Because I will, right? But we're not responsible for everything that happens. All we're responsible is that we plant the seed that we know we're supposed to plant. We say the words we're supposed to say, and God said, I will not see my word return void. Not you need to go make sure my word doesn't return void. God will look after his word, right? We just spread it. We just put it out there. So Jonah, and he proves how, bar, how low the bar is set for our service. That's another great thing about Jonah. He shows just how bad you can be at witnessing and still be effective. If God said, hey, David, I want you to go cry out against Rockford, and that whole city's going to have revival because you did it, I'd be gone now, right? I'd be in the car, all right, Lord, where am I going? Just stand on the corner and start yelling, right? And he promises Jonah this city's going to return, and Jonah's like, ugh, <laughs> won't be that guy, right? How low is the bar for being bad at witnessing and Jonah got under that bar and still managed an entire city turned because it was time for them to turn because God did not let the word return void, right? Didn't matter how bad Jonah was at it, the word was the thing that was important. Next week I'll talk about how a prophet is defined by their message. God's love for us is crazy. So let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now when King David lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, first time we hear about him, Nathan just shows up there standing by the king, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. I was in the Navy. I was in the USS Enterprise. I spent six years in the Navy, and four of that was on an aircraft carrier called the Enterprise. And the one thing I learned about being a satellite communication technician in charge of line of sight on board the USS Enterprise is this, be invisible. Because the only time you showed up was when something had gone horribly wrong, and what you wanted to do, you wanted to be in the background, and something's gone horribly wrong, so you step up, and you touch the right things, and you fix things, and you put them together, and then you disappear again. Right? That was my whole job in the military is you show up when something's really, really broken and you fix that thing and you just, okay, now we're gone, right? Nathan's kind of that way. Nathan shows up whenever something's going on. David kind of turns and poof, there's Nathan. Nathan's like, hey, I'm here to fix things. God's given me a word for you. You know, sometimes if you're walking in the anointing of God, he will put you in somebody's life just at that right moment. I remember I used to ride the bike through the woods, and I would always think, man, wouldn't it be awesome if I just was riding my bike through these woods, and like a person just wandered up and waved me down and gave me a word from the Lord, and then just wandered off, and then I just kept riding, how awesome that would be. And God's like, why couldn't you be that guy? Just 
hang around at an intersection on one of these bike paths and say, hey, Lord has a word for you, and just say whatever. And I was like, ooh, I like that. I think when I get older, Lynn, that's my retirement plan, is to wander around and just give people words from the Lord, right, just off the street, just freak them out. God's got a message for you, just supernatural, right? I have crazy dreams. I want to be a street preacher, but, you know, it doesn't pay. Um, so Nathan, Nathan is standing by the king. God provides prophets because kings don't always listen. How many of you feel like the government of the land listens to you? Don't. We're not being political. Um, God provides prophets because kings don't always listen. And I didn't know I was going to go this way until this morning, and the Lord just kind of kept the pen going this way. And let me tell you something. Did you know if you're a married guy, God's already provided you a prophet? The Lord's been speaking to me about all this because I don't have enough people in my life that can speak into my life. Most of the ones are back in Kentucky or Arkansas or places like that. So I don't have somebody that kind of watches me from day to day and can kind of give me that, right? So I do have one person that God's already provided, though, with a prophetic gifting that he sticks right in my way all the time and always lets me know when things are going the wrong way. Ta-da! Did you know, and and I say this, and I know some people get really, really bent out of shape about... um, Roles in marriage, right? Because we always want to put the man's, man's the head of the house, he's the priest of the home, and woman, you submit, right? That's, that's kind of how we frame it, right? Man, you're the head, woman, submit. That's what the Bible says, man, head, woman, submit. That's all it is. Did you know that the woman is the prophet of the house, just like the man's the priest? Did you know that? And do you know why prophets exist? Prophets exist because kings don't always listen, Did you know that? Did you know that in marriage, God puts a woman beside you so that when you get off track, when you veer this way or that, somebody comes and stands in your way and says, hey, right? Where are you going, right? Kristen has always had this thing. It's it's hilarious that whenever I want to go somewhere and she knows I want to go there, she stands in between me and that. I love it. It's it's my favorite thing. I'm kidding. Um, But when you're, you're married 21 years, you have little things you do, right? So if she knows I have to get in, there's like one little passage to get through, she'll stand there and say, hey, how you doing? You know, and start a conversation. Like, I'm trying to, because she knows, right? You know, that's the job of a prophet is to stand in the way. I'm going to show you in a second how Nathan does that to David, but we're going to go on. You need a prophet, and you, you need to be a prophet, and you need to have a prophet. And when I say these things, don't freak out and say, I mean, I want you to wear camel's hair, eat locusts, and live out by the river, Okay. What I mean is, you need to be hearing from God to give that word to someone else, and you need to have someone in your life who hears from God and gives that word to you, right? Again, you can't give correction if you can't receive correction. You need to have people in your life that could tell you when you did something wrong. Did you know that having a prophetic word means you're allowing people to judge you? Because the Bible says if you give a prophetic word, the rest of the church is supposed to judge that word to see if it's from the Lord. Did you know... That you're supposed to let other people talk into your life and sometimes say things that aren't flattering about you and you don't get mad at them and you don't drive them out and you don't chase them off your lawn with a stick, but you just say, okay, you know what, I'm going to consider that. I'm going to take it before the Lord. We're just going to... And you know, my favorite saying about that, of course, is if one person calls you a horse, you blow it off. But if a hundred people call you a horse, you start wearing a saddle, right? Because obviously somebody knows something. So Nathan provided prophetic direction when it was needed. Let's go to verse 4. David's like, hey, I'm living in this house of cedar, 
which was pretty fancy back then. But God dwells in a tent, the Ark of the Covenant, all that. They still had the tabernacle structure. And, and he's like, well, I have a really nice house, and God doesn't have a house, so let's build one for him. And Nathan says, sounds like a great idea. So Nathan goes to sleep that night. And in verse 4, it says, but that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I was brought up, since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving in a tent for my dwelling in all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, why have you not built me a house? The first thing he says to Nathan is, does this square up with anything you've heard? Have I been all like, hey, when you get there, build me a house? No, this is kind of David's taking the initiative. David's saying, I'd really like to do this thing for God. I think this would be a great idea. And Nathan's like, it does sound like a great idea. But here's the thing about somebody with a prophetic gifting is it's not about whether or not it's a great idea. It's about whether or not it's what God wants you to do. You know, you can be offered things that look like advancement that will lead to your decline. You can be offered opportunities that look like they'll be good opportunities, but will only destroy what you need or what you have or where you're supposed to be. They'll actually set you back even though you look like you're going forward. I can't tell you how many people picked up a job opportunity because they thought this is going to be great. Let me tell you a little secret. Sometimes they make you manager so they don't have to pay you all the hours you work. Did you know that? Sometimes they'll put the title manager on you so they can work you 80 hours a week and only have to pay you the 40 they were already paying you. But you're like, hey, I'm a manager now. I have no social life. I haven't seen my kids in a week, but hey, I'm a manager, right? Sometimes not every step up is a step up. And so Nathan has this dream and God starts speaking to him in his dream, saying this isn't what is supposed to happen. The first correction he gives him is, does this line up with my word? How many of you were taught... And, and, Nah, we'll skip that because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense in this context. Nathan directed David back towards his calling. In verse 8 through 11, he says this to David, Now therefore, thus shall you say to David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture. What he basically does is he goes in and he says, Look, David, I've given you everything. I've give, I took you from being a shepherd, doing nothing, to being king over Israel. All your enemies have fled before you. I have literally laid everything at your feet. But this isn't what you're supposed to do. The reason I point this out, because something people don't get, is that when you read that whole passage, it's 90% encouragement and 10% correction, right? It's like almost all this, David, you have wonderful giftings, you are called of God, you have great things going on in your life, I have given you everything and will continue to give you things, your throne will be established forever, but this isn't for you, you're not supposed to build the house. That was just a small part of the message. Can I say that sometimes we turn that around and we give people 90% correction and no percent encouragement? Most of the time, right? Can I say that? Does that sound mean? Are you guys going to get mad at me if I say that? I'm going to say it. I mean, it, it's true, right? Sometimes we think if we keep telling people over and over what they're doing wrong, they'll fix it. And that doesn't always work. And at some point, it just becomes you telling them, you know, at some point, you're just kind of picking on them, right? At some point, can we use the N-word? Sometimes we nag, right? Sometimes, sometimes it becomes just this, this constant gibbering because, and here's what I mean about fighting the battle the same way over and over again. Some of you are fighting a battle with an unsaved husband. You're fighting a battle um, with somebody you really, you really care about, but you're fighting it by giving them 90% correction and no encouragement, which, really, which I guess would be 100%, right? And even though that doesn't produce the results you want it to produce, 
you go back and do that again, right? Like, well, they're doing it wrong again. I need to go tell them how wrong they are and, and how bad they are at this. And, and eventually they'll just be like, wow, I'm terrible. I should get better, right? It doesn't work. And I like it that when Nathan comes to tell David, because keep in mind, Nathan is basically telling the king no, right? Nathan's like the one guy in the kingdom that looks David in the eye and says, David, it's a great idea, but no, you shouldn't do it. Did you know David could have gone ahead and done it anyway? Think about that, husbands. David could have listened and said, okay, I hear what you're saying, prophet. I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Do you know what happens when you try to build a temple, but you don't do it according to the will of God? You build an idol instead. The thing that is supposed to be sacred then becomes the focus of what you're doing, and God is left out of the picture. We have a whole lot of people doing the work of God, right, without asking God what work it is they want to do. But they do it because, well, this is what I'm good at, so God must want me to do it. And that's not always the case. Good does not always mean right. So, God's word wasn't no, it was just not yet and not you. Right? And if that was the last time we saw Nathan, that would have worked out really great for David. But we know that David's life takes another turn. Head over to Samuel 12.1. It took me a second. I'm over 40 now. I'm 44. And it's amazing how many things just fall out of your mind after 40. Just like It's like you have a plate full of information and it's just spilling stuff off all the time. I looked at somebody today and I was like, I have no idea how to play that chord on the guitar. I just, oh wait, there it is. Okay, I found it again, right? I, I went to quote Psalms 1-1 and I had, to, I had to do it like four times in my head to get it to come out to say, blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But he delights in the Lord and on, on his law. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits, stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Standing in the way of sinners, I love the phrasing, but I'm going to use it differently than that verse uses it. When that verse uses it, it means you don't stand the way sinners stand. Like if everyone's sitting around the water cooler telling dirty jokes or whatever, that you kind of avoid that or you don't go hang out where, you know... Um, I've had some people tell me sometimes they were starting some ministries in some weird places, and sometimes they are called to missionaries to be those places, and other times they were just carnal and just doing what they wanted to do anyway. Um, you're only a missionary if you're there spreading the gospel, right? Um, but Nathan was the kind of guy that would stand in a sinner's way. He wouldn't stand in the way of sinners, but he would stand in a sinner's way. What happened with David, and, and most of you know this story, but for the ones that don't, let me kind of relate it. David, again, is king over Israel. He has been called a man after God's own heart. All his enemies have fled before him. I didn't read it, but one of the great things Nathan says that God is telling David is, by the way, David, all your enemies are going to flee before you, and God is going to give you peace the rest of the day. You're going to have a time of rest where you're going to have no more enemies and nothing going wrong because you've done what God has said. You have set things in order. You have been who you're supposed to be, and now he's going to let you have this time of rest. Well, in David's time of rest, he goes and stands on a rooftop and looks down at the women's shower, right? So already we've made one mistake. And he sees a woman and he falls in love with her. Problem is, she's already got somebody in her life she's married to, right? Doesn't stop David. Him and Bathsheba get together and she becomes pregnant. Now he's in trouble because her husband's off fighting the battles that David stayed behind and didn't fight. So now he's got to do something. So he talks to Joab, his general. He's like, look, Joab, you've got a guy in your army and I can't have him coming home. 
There's, there's more to the story. I'm, I'm giving you the shortened version because we don't have time for the whole version. But basically, it's this, that he tells Joab to go attack the city walls of the city you're at, but on a certain command, everybody drops back, but one guy doesn't know what the command is, and that's Uzziah. So everybody goes up to the walls, so they attack the walls. He gives a command, everybody falls back except for the one person, and that person is killed by the walls at the command of David. And David's like, okay, you know, I did a bad thing, but at least I got, at least we're, at least we're out of it. And, and after, after this husband dies, he goes and does the honorable thing and marries the woman he impregnated that was the wife of another man. And David has in his heart at least, he's made peace with it. You know, it was bad. I didn't mean to do it. It was horrible, but I've moved on now, right? Everything's fine. Yeah, I, I won't do it again. I get one mulligan on this whole adultery murder thing, okay? I just, just one adultery murder, and that's it. But then, in chapter 12, it says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said, and I love this because he doesn't start, again, remember I talk about fighting the same battles and getting the same result? He doesn't just come out and say, Hey, David, <laughs> you've really messed up. Because keep in mind, David doesn't think Nathan knows anything about this. So David comes up and says, there were two men in a certain city. Just starting up a conversation. Hey, David, I heard about this thing. There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor, and the rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except for one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he bought it up, and he grew with him, and it was like one of his kids, and it used to eat morsels and drink from his cup, and, lie, and it would lie next to him. It was like a family pet, right? And it was a daughter to him, and, and it came a tra- now there came a traveler to the house of the rich man, but the rich man was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come. So he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore that lamb fourfold because he did this thing, because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are that man. You are that man, David. You have concubines. You have wives. You're the ruler over all of Israel. You have everything, David. Uzziah just had Bathsheba. That's all he had. You took her. I actually debated on playing the VeggieTale clip for that because there's a really great VeggieTale song that goes along with that. Kristen knows what it is. The kids don't know, but the parents still remember the songs because we, we had to hear them while the kids were watching them over and over and over. David had made peace with his actions, but that's different than grace and forgiveness. Being at peace with what you did wrong is different than grace and forgiveness. David was at peace with what he did. God's merciful, he can forgive me. I'm forgiven, case closed. But Nathan said, no, that's not true. You've done something horrible. Don't you understand what you did? And so Nathan confronts him, and David is crushed in that moment. But here's the worst part, is that Nathan goes on to tell him, now David, listen, you were promised a time of peace, and you were promised that war would pass from you, but now you've done this thing, and you brought conflict back into the picture, and now the sword will never depart your house. And so David has two sons that rebel against him after this. David has war till the end of his days now. His destiny was not that, but sin changed that because he gave into it. It's easier to prophesy peace than to stand against the current. Amen? But we need to allow ourselves sometimes 
to feel what we did. Do you know that? I'm not saying that when you sin, the amount of contrition you show or the amount of you know, wailing you do or anything like that gets you forgiveness because none of that does, right? God gives forgiveness because he's God. But do you know you've got to let your sin affect you? You've got to feel what happened because if you don't, then you go back to it. There are people who hide secret sins all their lives and all they want is to be caught. All they want is for someone to catch them in it and say, man, don't do that, that's wrong, what are you doing? But they think they're getting away with it and so they keep doing it and they keep doing it until God brings along someone who's a prophet who stands in their way and says, man, this is wrong. You can't do this. This isn't what God has for you. I believe David's punishment would have been worse had Nathan not stood in his way, had Nathan not stood in front of him and said, David, you are that man. David, you're the one that did this thing. Look at what you did, David. Psalms 51 Psalms 51 says, To the choir master, a masculine of David, oh, I'm at 52, <laughs> Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, have mercy on me, O God, according to your love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in the truth and the inward being and teach me wisdom in the secret heart. He was caught. He was confronted with it. He had to look at it. There was no explaining it. There was no, well, Nathan, you don't understand. I really, we, we just fell in love. It just happened, right? I, everybody that ever commits adultery says that. It just happened, right? We're just walking along, boom, adultery happened, you know? It's never happened to me. Do you know that? I've never just, whoa, that was a, I accidentally did some adultery there. Sorry, whoa, my bad, my bad, you know? It never starts like that. It started with him looking, right? And then it started with him planning, and it started with him with scheming. There, there was a whole line of things that happened. And so when he's finally broken, it says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy and gladness. gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. He's feeling this. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. And this is the one everybody knows. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Verse 14, deliver me from the blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. You got to let it bother you. We're all going to mess up. By the time we hear each other again, by the time we see each other again, we will both have messed up. Right, Casey? We could see each other for lunch. You know what I'm saying? And one of us has already messed up, right? When you stop letting it bother you, you're in trouble. When you become okay with it, you're in trouble. It's like the first time you yell at somebody, you're like, oh, I yelled at him, sorry. But there's no immediate consequence. 
right? The first time, first time you're mean to somebody, like, ooh, shouldn't have done that. Oh, but there's no consequence. God doesn't strike us dead, you know? I always think when Eve takes the fruit and eats it, she's waiting for it to kill her immediately, which I'm thinking, why would you do that then, right? But there was almost that thought, well, I didn't die. Must not be that bad. I heard a joke that says, if nobody's come back in time to stop you from doing what you're doing, how bad could it be, right? No one had to build a time machine to stop you. Odd line of thinking, but for some, got to let it get to you. We were talking in the board meeting this week about what is the biggest, the biggest strengths and biggest weaknesses of our church. And I said that I think the biggest weakness in our church, and, and I love you guys, is we're not desperate. That God is nice to have around. And Jesus is a cool thing to be a part of. And the church is a nice thing to go to. And <laughs> What would it be like if your life was such a mess and if things were going so wrong that all you had was to get to that altar and get to the foot of the cross, if all of a sudden everything in your week just turned into this, I've got to get back to that place where I can see God again, where I can meet with Him. I wish we were more desperate for the presence of the Lord. And with all that's in me, I don't know how to make us that. Nathan means to be given. We had the words up on the wall a while back, and we had them all from Jeremiah 1.5. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Because I knew you, I consecrated you as a prophet. I gave you to the nations. Nathan means to give. If you just looked up the word Nathan, the Hebrew word Nathan, and, and you, you can't look it up in a Bible in a regular program because it gets translated a lot of different ways. In fact, one of the things about the word Nathan doesn't mean just to be given, but to be appointed. You're not just given something, you're appointed it. God, Nathan, Abraham, everywhere his foot stepped. That everywhere Abraham walked, God said, that is your land, that is your territory. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. You know, he didn't just give them what we would call Israel. He actually gave them, he said, he said from the river in Egypt to the river in Babylon. But did you know a whole lot of us have been given by God a territory that is far bigger than what we will ever conquer or take? That he has given us more gifts than we will ever use or utilize. That he has already set aside for you more than you actually will ever go out and, and, and make use of. Did you know you are greater than you think you are? That you are bigger than you think you are because God has given you a destiny and a salvation that's bigger than where you are and bigger even than what you think you're capable of. Nathan means to give. I, I, I literally, yesterday morning, spent an hour and a half going through stuff like I was telling Stu that I'll never, I can't preach because you could just follow this word. You could just take that word and follow it through Scripture and see what was given. Do you know that God made the sun so it could give light? 
right? That the word give shows up there the first time. So the son could give light. And then he said to Adam, I give you the garden, all the fruit in it. I give you all of this to eat. I give it to you. So Eve turns and she gives the apple to Adam. And then Adam says, Lord, this woman you've given me, right? And you could just follow that word, right? It goes, I love it. Pharaoh gives Joseph a new name and it doesn't stick, right? Just, oh my gosh, just... <laughs> You can just follow that word. Your destiny is a gift, but it's also an obligation. And the reason why I hit on things like sin so hard is because sin derails you from that. Because God had given David a destiny. He had said to him, you're going to be at peace. All your enemies will flee before you. You're going to establish your house forever. And That's what sin does. I don't bang on sin because I want to make you feel bad about doing bad. It's because you are bigger and greater than you think you are, and the only thing keeping you from what you should be is sin. It's no bigger and it's no smaller than that. It's not, <laughs> and, and some of us, once we do mess up, man, we're so hard on ourselves, we've got to beat ourselves up so bad that we can never, ever be forgiven by God. And let me tell you, sin is super easy to be forgiven of. All you have to do is ask, right? Right? I think most of the time we're asking for the forgiveness from the wrong sins. I think most of the time I'm asking forgiveness for getting angry at a driver or, or some, some, something where it bubbles up and something comes out. Remember I said we attack the symptoms but not the root? Do you know why a husband nags her wife? Her wife nags her husband? Because she doesn't feel heard by him because she doesn't feel like her words mean anything. She doesn't feel listened to. Did you know that? Did you know husbands, if she says the same thing over and over and over again, it's because she feels deep down in her heart that you have no idea what she is saying. She feels like her words are powerless. But we're attacking the root. Why are you nagging me all the time? I, 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 I love there's a sign. Kristen's going to punish me for this, but I'm saying it. Um, there's a sign that says, ladies, if your husband says he'll do something, he'll do it. You don't have to remind him every six months. Right? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. We're attacking the symptoms and not the cure. See, we're going back now to Corinthians where it says that right now we see everything through a glass darkly. And the reason why you need someone in your life with a prophetic gifting who can call you out every now and then is because you don't see the things that are holding you back the most. Did you know that? The biggest problems you have, you're probably pretty unaware of. The things that are keeping you in the same place in life or in ministry or in relationships or where you are are probably things that you have no idea of. And when someone mentions them, if you don't give any weight to their words, you don't take their words as true. And so you go on with the same things, fighting the same battle, going through the same things. It's just a circular motion. It's almost like if you've been married 21 years, you've probably had the same argument at least twice, right? You probably run into that saying, you're arguing it the same way, right? Making the same points, coming to the same non-conclusions. If you're going to move forward, you need to be able to pierce that veil. You need God to speak to you. You need God to speak to you, and you need, to God, you need God to speak to someone close to you about you. That's why you get godly people in your life. That's why you surround yourself with people. If everybody always agrees with you, you're in the wrong group. You know what I'm saying? If everybody's always, yeah, I, ah, it's five till. Um, great story in the Bible that fits that illustration perfectly. Don't have time. 
you need God to speak to you, and you need someone in your life that God speaks to about you. A supernatural, a natural world is never going to be convinced of a supernatural God by a natural church, right? A natural world is never going to be convinced of a supernatural God by a natural church. If every conversation you have with somebody outside of church is just a natural, normal conversation, your life will never convince them that there's a supernatural God. Right? Listen, I've watched the news. Our world is in trouble. Our families are in trouble. Our community's in trouble. Rockford's in trouble. Chicago's in trouble. And they're trying to get Boone County in trouble too. We're like the little brother caught in the middle of two brothers sliding back and forth in the back seat and mom takes a turn and y'all, you know, crush the one brother then you crush him again, right? Kids ever done that? Never? No? Okay. Man, we need some prophets. We need some people who speak the word of the Lord into situations supernaturally. People who know when someone's saying one thing that God knows what's actually going on in their heart and they can turn to that person and call that out of their life. They need people who will walk in such a way that no matter who else they've got fooled and who else they've snowed over and whatever else is going on, they can look at them and say, yeah, but thus saith the Lord. Oh, we're scared of that, aren't we? You know why we're scared of it because we don't know what he's saying. No one's going to say, thus saith the Lord, if they're not sure that that's what God's saying, right? That's why sometimes we quote the same three Bible verses we've always known. Amen? No, nothing? Um, God's going to raise up some prophets. Do you know why? Because every time the vision gets distorted, every time people can't see God through the haze, every time it gets bad, God raises up somebody with the specific giftings and the specific callings to address that. And I know that there are people who came here today because God is going to raise up in you specific abilities and specific callings to address what's going on. That some of you see yourselves as small and ungifted and you have no voice and you're painfully awkward and things just go wrong for you and everything you touch falls apart and it doesn't seem like things go right for you and yet somewhere in your heart, God has set the exact right tools to change the world. Did you know that? God used Jonah. <laughs> Jonah was terrible. He was a terrible, he must have been a great preacher. Because his sermon went something along the lines of, I don't like you, but God seems okay with you. Please repent. Right? I don't know if I'm charismatic to preach at people I don't like. <laughs> you know, I've been blessed with a church where I like everybody, right? Well, you know, I'm kidding. Um, there's no way to end this, D. There's no, there's no way to end this. Just let's play something. Let's have a moment. Bow your head and close your eyes. And this is what I want you to pray. If my words mean anything to you, if you believe that God has called me in this place to speak in this hour to say something to you, then believe this. You are completely capable of hearing the voice of God. Everybody in this room has a part of them in their spirit that connects to the spirit of God. And it may not be an audible voice, it may not be a voice that moves the air, but it's a voice that moves your heart. And it's not your voice, and it's not just your dreams, and it's not just your hope, but somewhere inside of you, the Spirit of God resonates with that seed that He planted when He made you. 
Because what has happened in our nation is not a surprise to God. What is happening in Rockford and Chicago is not surprising God. He knew. So he made you. Have you considered my servant? God has built you with specific tools to address what's going on. Some of you are going to go back to families where they're going to immediately turn on you. They're immediately going to turn their words against you. And God has set you in that family because there is something inside of you that is indomitable. That cannot be run down by the words or insults of others. But he has set you there so that someone can rise above and say, thus saith the Lord, to those that are still perishing. Because you're the only one that's going to get to them. Because your words mean something. They have power when they're God's words. And so he is saying to you today that I am giving you to them. And there's a second group, and this is this, this is where you're at. You have a lot of things going on for you, and things actually are going okay, and everything seems to be in a good place, and you are not going to get to the place you're supposed to be until God puts a prophet in your life. Until you get someone in your life who knows how to hear from God, who knows how to get before the throne of God, and how, knows how to tell you when you've gotten off, when you've gotten off course, when you've gotten off track. You need a prophet, and you need to be a prophet. So let's all stand.